the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was built in 1989 for an international exposition, and all the citizens around thought it was a monstrosity and should be torn down immediately after the exposition. But the architect of it knew that it was destined for greatness. His name was Alexander Gustav Eiffel, and he had constructed and designed the Eiffel Tower, which is the singular landmark of Paris, France. In a similar way, Jesus, the architect of the Christian church, thought that it didn't look like it was very promising at first, but he knew that the church was destined for greatness, and so it was. The disciples were huddled in the upper room waiting for the other shoe to drop. They didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden, a mighty wind came in. Wind and fire, those are always signs of God's Spirit. A mighty wind came in and little tongues of fire overtopped their heads. I want to tell the kids it didn't burn their hair off, by the way. They always want to know that. Little tongues as of fire over their heads. And these disciples, who had been cowering and frightened, suddenly burst out and were able to do all kinds of things that they couldn't do. Somebody once described the Christian church as being kind of like a football huddle, that people are huddled together and they're talking about things that sound like they are important, but all you can see is their rear ends. And then suddenly they broke the huddle. And they, when they went out, then they began uh, doing things that people couldn't believe. They were speaking in all kinds of different tongues, which was pretty handy because people were there for the festival of weeks, which was a harvest festival, kind of like our Thanksgiving. And there were people from all over the Mediterranean world. And they could all hear, speaking in their own language, the message about Jesus and salvation. And they were just floored by that. They, they were amazed. They said, aren't, aren't all these guys Galileans? Which was another way of saying, where did these hicks suddenly become uh, linguists? And, and where do they become bold? Like that? What's the deal with that? And the more cynical among them said, oh, they're filled with new wine. And then uh, Peter, they're, they're just hosed. And Peter got up and said, no, 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 no. They're not, they're not drunk, as you suppose, because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And I have to say at this point, the addiction counselor in me is thinking, you know, a lot of guys and gals I've worked with, 9 o'clock in the morning isn't too early to start drinking, <laughs> especially if you have to have a little hair of the dog that bit you the night before. But in that culture, it was... In that culture, it was not done. For one thing, Middle Eastern people have a much better tolerance for alcohol. For the other thing, it would have been socially totally unacceptable to drink in the morning like that. They would have said, ah, he's drunk like a Gentile. Been like picking your nose in public. Just not done. You know, just something that they wouldn't have done. And so Peter says, no, no, they're, they're, not, they're not hosed. Don't you remember what the prophet Joel wrote? that when the Messiah comes, God's going to pour out His Holy Spirit on you, and your young men and your young women will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and all, all this is it. Well, this is it. This is what was prophesied. Here you go. And then he preached, and the, the content of the sermon is kind of like Paul's sermons. It, it usually follows this outline. Jesus was the Messiah of God. Your religious leaders killed him, but God raised him from the dead, and now all you have to do is believe in the name of the Lord and be baptized, and you will be saved. You have eternal life. Preach that sermon to him. A lot of people were influenced that day. Pentecost is a really important day in the Christian church, largely because without the action of the Holy Spirit, none of us here could have faith in the Lord. 
We don't just make an intellectual decision and go, yeah, I decided to believe in the Lord. No, no. If the Holy Spirit doesn't work that faith in your heart, you don't have faith. All of the talents that you have are from the Holy Spirit. Marilyn couldn't even play the organ without the Holy Spirit. People couldn't do any of the things. They do. Connie couldn't cook like she does without the, the help of the Holy Spirit. All of those things come from God's Spirit. Now, Lutherans believe in this very strongly. And uh, I'll take you back to your confirmation days. You can remember Luther's explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed. Remember this where he said, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in my Lord Jesus Christ or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. Even as he calls, gathers, and enlightens the whole Christian church on earth. Lutherans believe in that and teach that very strongly. Even though we believe that very strongly, the problem is it doesn't always show up for us. And I, I, I really think that the, the issue is not that Lutherans don't believe strongly in the action of God's Spirit. I think the problem is we do. We do believe in it. And we're just a little bit afraid to turn God's Spirit loose. Because, you know, the freewheeling action of the Spirit, it could be anything. You might wind up being a missionary in New Guinea or Africa, or you might, you know, wind up letting go of a resentment you've held for 20 years. Uh, anything could happen if you, you know, if you allow God's Spirit to, to get hold of you. And I think we're a little intimidated by that, a little un unsure of that. I had, uh, I've done this before for you, but uh, I, think it, I think it bears repeating. I have what I call uh, Cal's hand signals to denomina denominationalism about the Holy Spirit. And so here, here's how it goes. I got these from the chaplains, volunteer chaplains and staff chaplains at Ball Hospital. So our Pentecostal chaplain, uh, Penny, told me that Pentecostals can get their hands way up here. And our Baptist chaplain said, well, Baptists can only get their hands up to here because they're afraid that they might become either Catholic or Pentecostal. <laughs> so just get them up to here. And our Methodist chaplain told us that the Methodist is hand signal is like this. Uh-huh, maybe. Yeah. And then I have chipped in with the Lutheran hand signal, which is the low five. Yeah. Yeah, we believe this stuff, but don't tell anybody and don't get too excited about it either. They might think you're Pentecostal. <laughs> Keep it down here. And what, where that leaves us is that it, it's, a little, it's a little difficult for us to, to, to turn loose God's Spirit. But here's the thing. Anything that we do that is good comes from God's Spirit. And the Gospel writer Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, wasn't too concerned about you know, when God's Spirit came to you. Was it before baptism, during baptism, after baptism? Or how it showed up, like, what, was he speaking in tongues or just prophesy or what was it? No, no. What Luke is interested in is the what. What does God's Spirit enable you to do that you couldn't do before? What does God's Spirit nudge you to do that you didn't think that you wanted to do before? What are you able to do that's different? That's what the Gospel writer Luke is concerned about. So, for example, God's Spirit is in you if, as I said, you can let go of a 20-year resentment and forgive somebody. God's Spirit is in you if 
you are able to be more generous than you normally are, that you are more giving. God's Spirit is in you if you help somebody who's not even part of your family, and you just help them because you're moved to do that by God's Spirit. God's Spirit is that which allows us to be bigger than we are, more generous than we are, more understanding than we are, more patient than we are, more tolerant than we are. That is God's Spirit always doing that. So if that is true, and it is, then the question becomes, how, how would we get God's Spirit in us if we wanted to? Now, I'll ask you this question first, so you can do a little self-assessment. In the last month, have you prayed for God's Spirit to come mightily into you? Have you prayed and said, Lord God, I need your Spirit to help me be a better person man, a better woman, a better child than I am. I need your Spirit to enable me to do stuff that I just can't do. Lord God, come powerfully into me with your Spirit. Have you prayed that in the last month, anybody? Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. God's Spirit is kind of like, it comes from the same word, uh, pneuma, from which we get our English word pneumatic. It means air or wind or spirit. So pneumatic, like if you take your car and you get your tires rotated, they might use a pneumatic wrench on it. That's where they hook up the air hose to that. And then they go, and you know, take your lug nuts off and they rotate your tires. That's an air-powered wrench. Okay? So that word, pneuma, pneumatic, means air, wind, spirit. It means all of those things. So if we think about the spirit, if it's hard to understand, think about the wind. If you wanted more wind in this building, what would you do? Open the doors, open the windows. If it wasn't blowing, you would stay open until it was. Now, the question is, how do we open ourselves to God's spirit? How do we stay open to that? Well, one way you do it is by coming here and rubbing elbows with a few sinners every week. That kind of helps you to stay open to God's Spirit. Another way to do it is you pray for it. You meditate and allow God to speak to you. Praying is talking to God. Meditating, shut up and listen. Okay, so you do more of that. Reading things that are inspirational. Scripture, devotions, and so forth. Music. Music is something that I've discovered that doesn't have to run through your brain and be analyzed. It speaks directly to your spirit. That's why there are hymns in our hymn book that Richard and I can't sing because we'll choke every time we do because it, uh, uh, it just you know, gets right in my heart and I, I, can't, I can't sing anymore. And, I, and like I, the Lord of Sea and Sky, I got, I got to have that one for my funeral so everybody will cry. Uh, no, I do. I, I figure they will too. And music speaks directly to our spirit like that. And so on this day of Pentecost, I would say to all of you Lutherans, try not to be quite as scared of the freewheeling action of God's spirit. Go ahead and be open to it. Go ahead and ask for more of God's spirit and see what happens to your life. You might be surprised. You could like it. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.